0: Back to the Twin Geek Cast, coming to you from the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone.
1: Yeah, that's a, how's that going?
0: I went by yesterday, I've dropped water off twice now, which uh, I don't want to be like the white guy being like, oh, I'm so proud of myself, I just like (laughs) going and helping out and, you know, uh, seeing what everyone's up to, there's uh, beautiful memorials, Um, it's it's probably the safest place in Seattle, it feels really good, Uh, I like it down there
1: good that's uh good to hear definitely things have become less volatile it seems not completely peaceful but less volatile which is which is good um the situation over here is is not ever i don't think reached as bad as it did in seattle at any point but i haven't seen anything Mm -hmm. uh truly awful though the the portland races certainly make things complicated
0: oh yeah there was a similar police response there. Uh, while I was watching the Portland protests, there was all the loudspeaker stuff. Like, uh, it really looked like a Orwellian society, and Seattle looked exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we are like a uh, we are like a safe haven for liberalism on the Northwest, but uh, uh, not all our policies and not all our policing is. It turns out,
1: well, that's the that's the funny thing with Oregon, especially, is that people always label like it. Like, people always think Oregon is just. Portland and like the coast and they don't realize that mm. half of the state is like super red ultra racist <laughs> <Right. laughs>
0: <laughs> at least with us it's largely spokane and our eastern areas reaching to Idaho it's not so much uh, uh I really... mean the west coast here is really a safe haven for liberal ideas totally no sense i've I've always
1: called eastern Washington uh just it's just western Idaho
0: <laughs> yeah right <laughs> Uh, i think we could probably cut it off now and uh fulfill our dreams of cascadia maybe we'll just take portland and leave the rest to the reds
1: you know that's that's always been one of those super like conservative talk boys. like they should, we should just like cut off california and the entire west coast you know <laughs> they can go run society on their own and we're like yeah sure you cool with that california makes like yeah, half can... of the gdp for the entire country
0: you're gonna miss it i mean yeah it... Our new country, Cascadia, we'd be making greater GDP than most countries, so it would be alright, I think. And we'd have the largest tech sector next yeah. to the US. Yeah, no, we'd be we'd be fine, guys. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm I'm tired of all this. <laughs> it's time to succeed and uh, West Coast is the best coast. You know I've never seen a Trumper hat in real in real life. I, I have. That's how privileged I am.
1: I have. Uh, you
0: you do have a story, I think, but I don't know if you want uh, to share.
1: Oh, no, I just, I remember I had, uh, I don't think it's bad, because I don't think it weighs on the person yeah. any bit. Like, it's, uh, you know, you can't necessarily judge someone by a hat, even though it, it's indicative yeah. of some things, but not, like, complete condemnation. But it, it's just one of those weird things where it did kind of highlight the... uh the, the the humanistic side behind people still who are such vehement supporters is that i sat down for lunch with my brother and one of his uh, army buddies one time we had a good conversation mm. he's a little jockish a little you know like what you expect of a military guy but he was a nice person still of course and then when i was leaving and they got in his truck to leave i saw i spotted a maga hat through the the back window and i said oh no
0: <laughs> yeah um i I thought I'd seen one once, and every time I look a little closer... Well, I've technically seen three parody hats, but uh, it's always uh, Make Pokemon Great Again. And <laughs> it's always some spin-off of that. I've never seen the true uh, MAGA hat, so I don't believe his supporters exist. Uh, it's all voting fraud. Uh, I'm,
1: sure,
0: I'm sure they do, but
1: there's also a lot of things. Like I remember... Uh well, we just saw that posting for the, the upcoming rally in Tulsa, and it's, you know, like hiring actors, uh, specifically uh, mm. <laughs> uh, people of color actors, to to stand in the pictures for the rally and stuff. <laughs> so
0: Weirdly, that all you, comes up in our movie today.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that, I thought that was a, a funny thing that just came up, but you're right that there probably aren't actual, like, MAGA hat wearing Trump supporters. They all just hide them in the back of their cars and only whip them out for yeah.
0: paid photo ops. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's doing it without payment. But. You know it does exist? The filmography is Spike Lee, <laughs> one of America's great black directors.
1: Yeah, it's a, a great time to uh, talk about his work, of course, with his new film, uh, having just hit Netflix, the Five Bloods, which we will get to. But uh, as usual, as we like to do with directors, we we want to go over his previous filmography, I think we're we're doing it a little different this time. I'm tired of ranking things. Yeah. It's it's a little tedious and uh, ultimately
0: arbitrary. And it's it's just better if well, we, have, since we usually have We usually have like a large debate and all the cool stuff happens off the podcast. So um, having 10 people put all that work into something that doesn't show up on the podcast. Uh, good and bad, it doesn't show up. It's fun for
1: us, but uh, you know the, the work doesn't show in the end. So it's better to just hash yeah. it out here and... I like the conversational nature of things as well. I think we've learned as uh, professional podcasters now that uh, the more we try and, like, uh, litigate things and make it all organized and ranked and listed and stuff, it just it, it doesn't go well. That's why we dropped the box office formula forever
0: ago. That's why we stopped trying. The show. <laughs> um, you could probably see our low effort <laughs> outcome now. Uh, I think it's a little better, though, because, like, Doing this Scorsese one, putting thirty clips in there, it was getting asinine, uh, and it. it wasn't working out. That was wh- so. How would you describe, uh, like, kind of the tenor, a Spike Lee movie, a Spike Lee joint, specifically?
1: Well, uh, I, I think his one thing that's very great about Spike's films that uh, kind of stand out to me amongst uh, the the slew of other directors working today is that his his unique voice and personality really stands out in just about every film. I think there's a couple exceptions where he fades into the background a little more. Uh, But generally, he has uh, his own personal feelings and agendas that he makes sure to communicate in all of his films. And sometimes that can be a mixed bag. Sometimes he's a little preachy, but sometimes his messaging is important enough to to overcome the very uh, heavy-handed way in which he delivers his messaging. I would say that's the case in the best of his films, and they are all important messages to communicate, and they do speak to uh, a lot of the the racial issues that uh, black people live through in modern American society, and how that the reverberations of their their suffering have you know uh, really impact lives today, and are still the same as they were hundreds of years ago and such. And it, it's interesting because it's a topic we can only speak on so much as two northwestern white dudes but uh i think we're going to try and i think we yeah no we obviously we could talk about it but our our perspective is limited of course and and it just
0: needs to be Mm. aware um as i think it's interesting because it's not just spike lee's america or uh the america of black men but it's like spike lee a black man from brooklyn making a joint. So he's talking about like making something stimulated that's stimulating that's going to hit you in some certain way. Like as if you just smoked a joint and you're like coming up with all these ideas about uh, society and where black men stand in it. And uh, he even does a lot of interracial stuff, a lot of stuff on colorism. And um, he, he just like his whole uh, filmography has a lot to say about race relations. And I think especially as white people, like the like, the onus is kind of on us now to fix this racism. Like, it's not a black problem. Like, the white people are the ones that have fucked this up. We have a lot to it's, do. It's, you know?
1: really, it's honestly, it's never been that. It's always been a white people problem. Yeah. We're we're the ones who perpetuated and made this in the first place, and the structural repressions are, you know, at our feet. You know,
0: we did that, and we're really bad at fixing it, <laughs> As as you can see. So I think they're... There are a lot of important black voices out there talking about Spike's movies that we encourage you all to seek out. But uh, for us, we also think it's important for white people to stand up and be like, we're not going to do this anymore. And uh, this is, you know, we have to change things.
1: Right. And and of course, I think uh, Spike has been one of the more prolific uh, black filmmakers since that uh, has really been an option for, for filmmakers inside. He, you know, he kind of started off in... The mid '80s and uh, has had a, a prolific and noteworthy career. Uh, every you know every year since then, really. Uh,
0: so I think that's the value of doing this for me is that I didn't really have a good context for like where Spike was coming from as far as like a you know like early movies and like a progression of a career. I had seen you know some spotlights over the years and in, in you know film classes and uh, a few at theaters, but I've never really seeked out his work in any specific way i've just come across it because he's important and out there yeah and uh this is as good a time as any of course
1: like we do this i think we try and do this with all directors or at least the the big name ones we're interested in is when they got something new we prepare up their best work and fortunately a lot of streaming services help us with that by highlighting their work and release uh particularly in the case of this one where it's a netflix film and so uh, I've noticed this that whenever they do that, they tend to grab a good number of the director's uh, films and they they kind of highlight them all. So luckily, there was a lot of very easy easily accessible films for us to watch in preparation for this. We didn't get to all of them, uh, of course. Uh, some of them are harder to find.
0: Yeah, I think- uh, yeah, I couldn't find bamboozled anywhere. I know it's on it's, Criterion now, and I'm glad they brought it back. But I don't think there's any other way to see it. Uh, well, I'm not surprised.
1: It's you know uh, very controversial seeming. I did not get to it though. I desperately wanted to because I'm very fascinated by yeah. by its subject and and the uh, the very con- controversial uh, idea of of making it to begin with. There, but of course. A film about performers in blackface in modern times is not going to be easily accessible. They're not going to slap it on the front page or anything like that. I
0: don't, and I don't know why not right now. I mean, maybe Criterion could, if anyone could. But uh, well, especially uh,
1: considering that blackface apparently isn't problematic enough yet to you know be gone forever. You still see all the time people yeah. m- mocking like Black Lives Matter movement and you know, all the politicians that came up recently who have histories of. Yeah. jokingly in blackface it's it's ugly and still relevant and and the history of blackface is not uh and, and minstrelsy is not uh as old as we like to think it's been prevalent in, so, in movies and television still probably up through the 60s
0: all i could nab from it was the um there was a montage of all the minstrel shows and ugly black portraiture that's happened in media is it um so i watched like, through like three minutes
1: is it actual media? Sorry. Is it like actual like footage yeah. and like yeah? That's what I figured. That's that's another huge staple of, of Spike's films that he likes to hit you with, real footage from <laughs> from Black history and and you know yeah. all sorts of different ways. And uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it's it's a little preachy, but uh, I, yeah, always, um... I always I always admire that that he he definitely like that's his main agenda in his filmography is that he wants to teach and remind everyone of the importance of
0: black history and make sure that we don't forget it. Yeah, uh, he shows us every shade of it and every, um, you know, he goes through every corner of black history. Uh, I've always loved about his titles that they do have like a, a blackness to their names. like a, They have a street lingo to them or they sound like a black man from Brooklyn naming an, uh, a movie. It's not like a studio chose these names.
1: No, and especially like, a, like say school uh,
0: days or Mo Better Blues or
1: yeah, I mean, they have that particular dialect to them, and again, it's that identity that are infused with uh, every one of his film. Well, not everyone, as we can see the, the picture behind me. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> right. put up. Uh, you have the old no, boy nobody poster. No, nobody can explain why he decided to make old boy, or why anyone decided <laughs> to do that. Uh, I don't know why you would want to do that.
0: <laughs> it's the funniest poster because it's just straight replica, but it's white and, or it's different. And I, I don't know. It's, why did he do that?
1: Yeah. Let's, let's just move on from that one. Let's let's talk about the okay. good movies.
0: <laughs> so she's got to have it. His first uh, directing premiere. I absolutely love this movie this weekend. This kind of added fire to my watch. I think uh, it's about uh, polyamory uh, somewhat. Uh, A woman and uh, uh, three different men, one of them Spike Lee. I think he's acted in ten of his movies, so uh, I kind of focus on the ones that he acts in uh, myself. Um, This one, very fantastic. Uh, A really good uh, dance sequence that kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, Spike Lee really has always wanted to make Hollywood kind of musicals, so I'm surprised you don't have a lot of affection for him before this.
1: Uh, I mean, I haven't seen him tackle too many of the, the yeah. musical aspects. There's one that uh, a little more recently that kind of goes there, but it's it's still not quite like musical musical. And I don't see him have the same affection for uh, a, a lot of like the, the, the Gene Kellys and such of of the eras, which yeah. is understandable i mean it's not yeah why would he (laughs) but if he does i would love to hear more about it because he does have in fact a lot of affection for a lot of classic hollywood films but they're usually a lot of grittier kind of bleaker cynical ones you know of course one of the, the big ones that you see him champion all the time is billy wilder's ace in
0: the hole oh yeah i think if you went through his early stuff especially uh we have to say like he's coming from a family where music composition is very important so we get to like "Mo Better Blues and School Days, which has three music segments, which are all extremely long. And <laughs> and he gets to play with color a lot more in those. Um, so I'd say like his first five, six pictures, they all have like a musical element till we get to Malcolm X, maybe Jungle Fever, which I haven't seen.
1: Yeah. You know what? Thinking back, I can think about it a little bit more. Like I think about the, the pastoral scape of like Do the Right Thing and all the bright reds and the color scheme throughout it it does remind me a lot more of an mgm musical in in, in lots of ways and that kind of heightened fantastical nature and i see that in a bit more of the earlier films like you point out there's there's stuff like you said with uh mo better blues which is very colorful oranges and purples yeah yeah orange
0: and purples coming through the windows and reflecting mood in the in the feeling of jazz and um that that was made right after do the right thing as well so you could see like a color pairing there where he is into the more pastel looks. And um, he... I do He grabs really good technical guys. Uh, good cinematographers. Really helped Spike with his early pictures. And uh, his dad did a lot of his compositions. Which... Uh, his dad, beautiful musician. And you could see that uh, most great directors also have a musical ear.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a fair parallel to draw there. Uh, it, yeah, so... You mentioned She's Gotta Have It, but you didn't talk too much about School Days there. Do you want to tell me about that one? Because that was his next film.
0: <laughs> yeah, School Days was perfectly fine. And I didn't bite on a lot of it just because I'm not really into, oh, the college fraternity thing. Uh, I think the black perspective of that, and uh, eventually by the ending, you realize it's all about colorism and talking about letting uh, people of different shades into fraternities and what that uh, inner race racism looks like. So there's a lot to it, but... Uh, i I really like the musical aspects I think you'd love the first music number there. It's like a five six minute um musical about their hair and how it's different and uh very um very interesting and very spikely
1: hmm i'm g- I'm gonna keep catching up with his films after this of course, but like okay. my main objective was just to hit like one from each decade at least uh you know before we got to this one so i have got uh, four others before we get to the Five Bloods. And for the 80s, of course, I just, you know, I, I rewatched and talked about Do the Right Thing, which is, okay, uh, w- which is like a, a pillar, I think, in his filmography and the one everyone
0: knows and loves and respects. Maybe one of the greatest American movies of all time. I have, uh, I it, have no, certainly as a yeah, place. I have no
1: problem saying that. And for as inconsistent or like, as i can find some of his other films to be I, I never find that problem with do the right thing it just hits this perfect stride the entire way through and it feels like it's it's speaking truth to a uh you know a, a kind of quieted issue in a very loud and you know proclamatory manner that's really you can't challenge and it's oh oh so relevant today particularly in you know how it deals with uh police violence and, and the racial tensions there and uh, I don't, I don't think we want to get into the film too, too much because it is inevitable that we're gonna circle back around and talk about this one in depth.
0: Yeah, check out any of the hundred podcasts that went up this week on Do the Right Thing because <laughs> it's a fucking amazing movie and everyone loves it, and you just need to watch it. It's um, it's vibrant, it is really yeah. truth to power.
1: Vibrant, full of great characters. You know, his soundtrack is great. Like it's, it's everything that can and usually is good in a Spike Lee film, but like in the most in the greatest way possible like all turned up every every single way
0: yeah and it influenced so many of my favorite things which we'll really dig into when we get to it i think but uh it it's hugely influential on uh so many things that i like and uh and it really embodies like a whole era of new york hip-hop that i really grew up with and was very influential on me so we'll get to that yeah i definitely one to talk about more in depth i think uh to, to just
1: kind of Skate around it now is not doing it justice believe me we, we will <laughs> no, come back but, uh, to it in full but i think it still stands as think... definitely my favorite of his films and like you said one of the best american films just ever made certainly of the last entire yeah. century it's it's just it's, and again it makes me i feel it's incredible then when i look and i see some of them the the sketchier elements or where some of his parts don't always mesh together again the because you see how they could yeah right? because they all it's like all of the elements and the spike lee of do the right thing are prevalent in all of his films but i've they oh, yeah. only all worked in full in do the right thing i feel like there's always at least something that like isn't quite right or feels a little more forced in yeah in some of the other films but generally it, all those things i still love about him even when they don't work
0: even right after with Mo Better Blues, I think he's almost there and he's still off that vibrant high of that film. But uh, there's there's still things wrong with the story. And I'm going to ignore them because I love it so much. But uh, <laughs> I, I can love its vibrancy and also say that's a really bad story about a musician. And it needs a lot more refinement than it has. But uh, until we get to uh, Malcolm X, which I think was his really uh, one of his big box office moments, especially in the 90s, one that should have that got- was oscar nominations that's always been the story
1: it, it did get some what i think it got for uh acting and uh is it cinematography or score it wasn't for him mm. uh costume design that's what it was which is good that was a, i think yeah. one of the the
0: better elements i agree with for sure uh not because of like that, that moment where they're walking on the street and doing the, with, with the, and the their big, new costume with right the- with
1: the big zoot suits
0: <laughs> You know, but
1: that yeah. that wasn't the thing about the costumes I liked as much. I liked the more reserved, period-accurate stuff okay. because... And, that, again, that's the thing, like, uh, that we don't see rewarded as much is is the less flashy kind of things when people, like... Again, it's always the case with the Oscars. You're going for the flashier, biggest, mm. loudest thing. And I think that's probably like, what caught the attention when really it was a lot of the other elements that were better than the first part. But, I, yeah, uh, Malcolm X feels like... The, the time when the world really was going to start recognizing Spike. You know, it was a big... Yeah, it seemed like the moment. <laughs> a big property, a, you know, big names, everything involved, big budget, big film. Like, it's a, it's gargantuan. It's an epic uh, in, in telling the story of Malcolm X. But I, I think it's also where you see some of his elements play l- less good than in other films. Uh, I was iffy on Malcolm X when I watched it this weekend what are you? I was I was because I <laughs> uh not that not that it was bad it wasn't bad I thought but no it's not bad but but this is going to come back to and, and you're going to hate me because I I know this is just a general thing we disagree on is that it's very biopic-y it, it, it adheres yeah. to biopic formulas like with complete dedication and and I feel like in a lot of ways that's weaker elements of it um the beginning feels like it's like almost an hour and a half before we actually get to the character of Malcolm X. Uh, I feel like before that, Denzel is mostly just playing Denzel as a kid. Yeah. And uh, and he, he does a great what job. It is
0: fascinating, at... though. Denzel has to play all three parts of his life. And I think he does well, making all three parts feel radically different. The, the first one... Doesn't feel like a
1: character for me when he's when he's just a kid, and that's and that's a big problem I feel like, and again a biopic problem where it's like you could easily I think cut like a whole hour from the film and just focus on Malcolm like like you I think you could make his his early years before he discovers Islam like twenty minutes of the film instead of like the hour and twenty minutes it is.
0: I might have made it a whole trilogy and just done three different movies. I think there's not space in one movie to put all of those and, in. And
1: that's a biopic problem. That's the problem where you're over-ambitious and telling an entire life story when really it's better to focus on the, the important then, part that speaks to their character as a whole.
0: <laughs> but then Gandhi had just won, right? Like at the Oscars, right. it was just being <laughs> celebrated around this time. And everyone's like, well, Spike could do it. And we have this really hot message and it's going to be huge in box office. And... Um Malcolm x like criminally misunderstood up until this point in america like it it really brought forward his reception, and people didn't understand well, like, he the still kind of life you know yeah, he is he's been like the yeah. most he... misunderstood radical there's ever been and and the film shines a light
1: on, on a lot of that like it at no point does he seem like a violent person as our history books like to try and tell us that he is it's just more so that he advocated for. A, a segregation and, and identifying of of black uh, people where usually they feel so committed yeah. to that. And what Malcolm X highlights that kind of goes into his latest film and a lot of his others here is this importance on black history, this idea that the, that history has been written by white people and that's what you've been told to learn your entire life and everything you've been taught. And mm. And that's definitely the first part of his character in the film is all centered around how he adheres to, white culture and white people and how he's trying to be like the white man and he needs to embrace his uh the the black aspect of his identity and run with that
0: i always thought denzel and spike were a pretty good match for delivering that message of uh new black history by black americans and uh kind of rewriting the books so I'm, I'm glad it exists uh, i encountered it first in criminal justice classes in college
1: yeah it's just it's it's a big film it's long uh i think some of the interesting stuff as well i think it's interesting that they got to film in mecca i think that's a very interesting mm. uh privileged thing to be able to to access uh as a filmmaker and it and all a lot of that footage is really cool the the shining the light on his uh muslim identity and uh the kind of falling out he then had with the the Muslim Brotherhood, I think, uh, is very, uh, you know, the interesting part of the story. Again, a lot of that hour, as fun as the the, the 50s kind of era and the, the 40s and stuff can be, it it definitely feels overly long, and a lot of it doesn't come back to contribute to the, the ultimate character that he,
0: he really is. If it were just the last third, I could have taken it, too. Right. But I, I do love the movie and the performances, I think. One at maybe Denzel's best. It's up there. Yeah,
1: and he does a great job. I don't have an issue with him as Malcolm X. I think he perfectly embodies it. And then, of course, uh, the the film also goes even further in embracing the the real footage uh, aspect of Spike's films. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, in this film, it's a lot more appropriate because you are dealing with such a, a media-savvy figure and uh, someone who is important at the time, especially, and seeing a lot of that. mm mm-hmm. uh, and so a lot of that I, I really appreciate. But definitely at times it feels like you could just make a documentary at the same time, like at this
0: <laughs> rate. Um, and Spike Lee has a few times. Like, right. Uh, famously, it's one's about Hurricane Katrina uh, before or uh, during and after uh, he made two of them. Um, I, I haven't watched any of his docs yet, though. I,
1: I guess my problem just with that is that, like, as a, as a viewer, I'm like, it, it feels like if you're making a narrative film, you should trust that your narrative depiction is is going to land effectively. Like, it feels like he's almost, like, yeah. afraid that it's not going to be enough, so he needs to use the the real footage to add that extra punctuation. And and I just wish that he would rely on his work so, you know, more so. Like, even going back to Do the Right Thing, Do the Right Thing relies yeah. on that messaging in some way by going out with the, the Dr. King and Malcolm X quotes. But it's it's not as heavy-handed in any way it's it feels more like a punctuation mark whereas in other films the reliance on actual footage a lot of it typically definitely feels like he
0: you know y- you should just
1: make a documentary in some cases
0: yeah um i think uh he just wants to show sometimes that uh it's not just an unreality of movies it's yeah. all real for black americans and yeah. that's i think what he usually wants to emphasize with that stuff
1: it, it definitely feels like he is trying to emphasize the importance of uh muted black history which it definitely feels like an important endeavor but but definitely sometimes especially after seeing so many of his films like i'm like okay
0: i, I got it <laughs> i i know this now <laughs> so then after that we had crooklyn which was a family story about black america in brooklyn i always like the title crooklyn and um I haven't seen a long time ago also encountered in a film school and I recommend it but I'm too distant from it to even comment further uh
1: yeah it seems like an interesting one I've heard that one is a lot more autobiographical in many ways I know he plays another yeah. part in it
0: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah uh, I think that, that one's definitely one I've heard uh, highlights for I would have watched it if I saw it on streaming somewhere but I think that's one of the renting ones
0: then we have this whole group of mid-career Spike that I don't think either of us have really encountered or engaged with. Uh, like a Clockers, Girl 6, Get on the Bus, He Got game. Yeah, a lot of those were... Summer of same mm-hmm. And a lot of
1: documentaries and music videos and such in here.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: and a lot of interesting, like I said, we had about Bamboozled in this time period as well, which is, I think is
0: interesting, the, the turn of the millennium, and then right... I saw he got game in theaters in the 90s, but I couldn't tell you anything about it, so <laughs> there's that. But
1: Basketball. The, the next one that I watched for mine, I moved on to the, the 2000s, and I checked out his post-9-11 film, uh, 25th Hour, <laughs> which had been on my radar for a long time.
0: Are we going to do this? You, watch... you want to have an argument <laughs> about
1: 25th Hour? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. If there's much to argue. I enjoyed 25th hour, but, uh, it, it sure does like to take on the male gaze perspective a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I always enjoyed spikes, New York films the most, I think. So I really like his Nine Eleven take, uh, but there is a weird uh, kind of, um, well, the, the girls are a little too young and they're, yeah, it, they're dressed like uh, it, and it's strange. It's, it's definitely, like, it, what it highlights is
1: that it highlights a, a kind of unfortunate uh, undercurrent of misogyny in a lot of his films. Like, it's not, like, aw- awful or, like, exploitative necessarily, but this is definitely, like, the worst I've seen, where it definitely frames the females just as constant objects of sex at all points in the film, and uh, especially mm. in, in certain scenes, and it's, uh, it's, it's really uncomfortable at times, but...
0: The the ones on the swing and in the club were almost unbearable. Yeah, no, uh, the swing one was so. Wife. I oh, was. I was uncomfortable
1: <laughs> with Rosario Dawson
0: dressed up in a
1: typical yeah. schoolgirl uniform and and uh, there. It's just it's going for it so hard and it's so uncomfortable to watch and not in a way that's like intended to make you uncomfortable. It just it it definitely feels like the the sleaziness seeping
0: through. So Spike, not an imperfect director. I think he has some <laughs> I think he has his own problems and is suspect in certain ways that we'll get oh, to further on as well.
1: Yeah, and, and that's always been the case. Uh and of course, you know, pointed out a couple things that are consistent in his filmography that aren't always great. This is uh and uh as a personality he also can be abrasive, uh as yeah. we've seen in interviews and such, but that doesn't make him uh, not likable as a filmmaker i think it's the important thing
0: kind of goes from talking normally to kind of yelling at his interviewers <laughs> and throwing out catchphrases
1: yeah and and he can um, you know and like with his messaging he can be definitely a little aggressive uh about topics and ideas but and i think he is informed by his own uh, prejudices in some ways uh and again like right like, and, we, and we see that misogynistic elements seep through in in a variety of films and his inherent male perspective definitely uh uh, warps a lot of the female perspectives that was definitely something i've seen come up in interviews and such and i saw him argue against is this idea of the the depiction of females black females in his films in particular and how that can skew towards misogyny is very defensive against being called out for that
0: yeah, but at some level, I think I think we should probably reflect and look at the. It's pretty obvious what's happening in this movie. Yeah, specifically,
1: but Twenty Fifth Hour is about more than just looking at pretty females throughout. It's
0: what about that bathroom scene?
1: Yes, that's incredible. The, so the the yeah. the fuck everything scene, or uh, I don't know exactly how to label it, but it's the famous scene from the movie, and it feels a lot like his uh, that montage and do the right thing, but kind of updated for the. the 20th uh or 21st century um new york uh and it's it's very well done uh i do wish i saw a better copy of the film because i i streamed yeah. it on hoopla which is a library streaming service and it was just it, it was shit <laughs> is that even a real service? yeah no it's uh-huh. it's real and it, it was just it was so awful i felt like i was watching like a okay. duped vhs coffee i remember a uh, copy i remember when it got to like the uh the scene in the club where everything's bathed in beautiful blue light and all of it was just crushed. <laughs> yeah, it's it was crushed to hell and it was so uh, ugly. And I, and I could watch it. And I'm like, I know and, it's not the movie's fault, but God, this is miserable to look
0: at. <laughs> and that's when you get your signature spike shot too, where he's following the girl through. The oh club yeah. That
1: he, he loves that shot. He loves to put people he, on dollies.
0: He loves a dolly. Yeah. <laughs> Any kind of person on a dolly, whether they're spinning or moving towards something, spike uh, Loves the dolly like no it's one gotten,
1: else. It's gotten to a point where, where, I see it, I almost kind of just roll my eyes now because <laughs> it's it's kind of used uh, indiscriminately. <laughs> there, yeah, it is. <laughs> there's sometimes Randomly. like in the club in in the club at 25th Hour. I think was the best moment I saw it because it definitely felt like he was just floating and and kind of not. It was intoxicating present. and weird. Yeah, yeah, and it came dissociated. It came at, at the moment like because right that was that was Philip Seymour Hoffman right after he went to kiss Anna Paquin right. And mm-hmm. he just felt so disassociated from what was going on. And then there are some moments where it, it, it doesn't work for me <laughs> as well. Uh, like, I, I don't know, maybe it was because I was just already kind of out of it in Malcolm X. But the moment where he's
0: floating there, it didn't work as well for me. But it still, I, it's still... It, I forget which one. Someone's just, like, spinning in their room for no reason. <laughs> maybe it was Mo or Blues. I can't remember. But, uh... Right. spike you don't always have to put someone on it all it's okay
1: <laughs> it's fun though it's and, and again these are yeah. these are the things that we like and don't like at the same time about spike <laughs> and it's his signatures they're they're fun and whimsical in many ways but also kind of inappropriate at times but no I, I i like 25th hour on lots of levels but i also don't like it for many reasons as well i feel like it it doesn't Grip onto uh, a structure uh, that's really strong. At some point, I'm confused. I-, I was confused as to why he's allowed to just like roam free for a day without being arrested <laughs> yeah, after they find explained. like what was it like seven kilos of of coke or
0: or whatever copious amounts of cocaine in his couch. yeah
1: like they-, they would not just be like all right you're you're free to go <laughs> uh, we'll come the- back in 24- twenty is- four hours. <laughs> they don't explain that at all he's just he's left
0: (laughs) no explanation i think edward norton is so good in this i give the movie a lot of passes because this is kind of what he tried to do in motherless brooklyn again yeah uh, he doesn't have spike's power in that there's some really strong performances in in 25th hour that i i could
1: really dig i was behind edward norton's character the whole time i believed him in his struggle philip seymour hoffman is great in every single thing he's ever done Brian Cox. Yeah, Brian been. Cox has a really great speech also at the very- end. <laughs> uh, I'd say the one really weak person in the movie is Barry Pepper. He's like a okay. he's a comical version of that kind of uh, you know Wall Street douchebag, and yeah. it's it sucks because his relationship with Ed Norton's character on paper is so important. It's so uh, integral to get across that it it really doesn't land because he's he's just kind of all over the place.
0: And this is like a period of Spike Lee where he goes to the film bros too. <laughs> I I think this is like a really coherent controlled movie that doesn't have usual Spike problems other than, you know, some of the politics of the of the uh, uh of how he treats women in it. But um uh, between this and Inside Man a couple of, a few years later, we kind of find out like the Spike that's kind of going for like a studio picture and doing one so he can make whatever he wants. Uh, the interesting thing about that is, <laughs> even when he gets the big successful movies, he doesn't always get the things he wants. He had like four or five things he, he has lined up uh, behind all his successful movies, and he I rarely gets to make exactly his, that thing.
1: Sometimes it feels like a lot of his films are trying to do too much, like he's trying to do like three yeah. or four things at once, and it's better to focus. Almost all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that's an interesting thing where things... Uh, fall apart um but
0: but usually (laughs) good i think inside man is the one that doesn't do that at all i think it does one thing until kind of the end it basically does the perfect black bank heist movie that's good uh i haven't checked that one out yet but it seems interesting i mean it's not you know it's not also like the highs that you get out of do the right thing or mo better blues or something (laughs) or she's gotta Mm -hmm. have it um it's it's more like baseline spike doing something that feels produced and made for a studio, so he can make something personal. But uh, really good Denzel in it, and uh, the weirdest cameo ever made by a PlayStation Portable. <laughs> so do watch it. I'll put the the boy's just playing his PlayStation Portable, and the camera goes back to it four or five times in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sh- it's really an artifact of that time. That's that is
1: funny. People don't uh, PSPs have always looked out of place, even in real
0: life. <laughs> yeah, I have- don't believe it when I see them. <laughs> It's like a Nokia end game. Just seeing it there. <laughs> I mean, if it's a Vita, maybe I could get behind. You know, some of its placement, but just the boy playing a PSP racing game in the bank seems unlikely to me. Hmm. All right, I got um, I got one more that I saw uh, before we got to our new okay. film, and
1: uh, I think this one's interesting because I know I I just spent a lot of time complaining about uh, the inconsistency and, and tonal, you know, all over the placeness of Malcolm X and Twenty Fifth Hour, but I really. Right. i really dug uh chirac
0: you did. i did and i um, I don't think you did it was such a distracting night that I really owe it a second chance like my kid kept needing me every 20 minutes and the movie's already sporadic and It's, chaotic. it's so i I've, I've wanted to see it forever, but,
1: it's it's uh, uh it's a really uh ambitious in in many ways stylistically and it's uh, erratic for sure. Uh, but i just don't like the poetry of it either i think it's so heavy handed well i mean it's but, it's poetry fine. on film it's it's literally and i think that's the one of the really ambitious natures of it but it's uh, i won't say that it's perfectly executed one of the big problems in in Chirac is that the editing is s- like trying to keep up with the the uh, the lines of the poetry and stuff. And so it's constantly cutting when it doesn't need to, and it can be yes. so obnoxious. Uh, but generally I like that it's, it, it finds that rhythm in the dialogue and it runs with that. And that's why I think it's compared to a musical sometimes it's, it's not though, even though music does mm-hmm. feature prominently in it. Um, but yeah, I, I love that it's, it's super stylish and it's taking this, uh, you know, centuries old, uh, you know, story, this myth and applying it to a modern parable. I, I think it, uh, and I like that it, the tone it goes out. I was afraid that it was going to go for this like happy ending solution. The women overcome, you know, the racism by not sleeping with any of the men. And now we fixed the, the systemic problems, but it doesn't go out on that note. I, no. I feel like it does end still in, in a very realistic manner. There are very unrealistic elements. Uh, I, the whole plot line of them seducing the Confederate dude at the military arms area and, and taking yeah. it over is super unrealistic and silly. It's strange. But that I, I did I mean, look. It's... I did look it up. That's part of the myth. that's how they get a hold of the supplies in the in the uh, Greek story as well.
0: It's all it's all coming from like a, a risk. I think you say, uh, Greek tragedy. Yeah. Lassistra, is that you I, say I believe so. I knew, I knew once we got here
1: that you would mispronounce something characteristically, but I was wondering if you'd at least get, uh, Chirac right, since they repeat it so many times. Yeah, Chirac? Uh, yeah, I <laughs> going in, I, Like Chitown, right? I didn't know what it was originally going in. I had always, when I saw it, I always thought it was called Chirac, uh... But okay, but right out yeah. the gate they make it known because there's a whole I love the the song intro like it it's just the yeah. whole song with the lyrics up on the screen and for an intro that that seems like again seems like a heavy handed maneuver but I think it really works in uh, Chirac because it it emphasizes the messaging of that and the tone uh, I just
0: something something I noticed that Ava Duvernay also did a lot in her thirteenth and that that's happening in her documentaries that I see that uh. The music with lyrics done in the same style—hard uh, mm-hmm. to explain exactly, but yeah.
1: No, I, I had a, such a fun time with Chirac, Uh I dug it a lot. I would watch it again, and I thought it was notable that it was the first film released by Amazon Studios.
0: Yeah, which is was it? Yeah, yeah, which is super cool. Okay,
1: I think that it's it's cool that they right out the gate they're you know supporting this very weird unique uh vision of a you know a big name filmmaker who can't get funding for this I'm sure in a regular studio and we're seeing that more and more of course with not only you know like Scorsese coming over but spike again here with Netflix uh, doing the five Bloods.
0: um I do like a lot of things about it like it does appeal to me in an auto visual way uh, I'm trying to think of a name of something uh, I think it was called my name myesha that I saw at a festival a while ago. It stuck with me, and it's very much the same movie.
1: I'm trying. I'm trying to think of another film that foregoes like uh, regular, you know, n- normal, com- you know, dialogue for this more poetic verse style uh, of conversation. Yeah. Uh, I like the, how it does it. It's very specific. Yeah, and and you don't see it often, and I think because it is so hard to execute and sustain for an entire film. And it it doesn't always. Sometimes it's a little inconsistent, no. but uh, I love the ambition of it. It really goes. It's gung-ho for it, and I think it lands for the most part for me. It was, uh, And it's that uh, ambitious, stylistic intent of Spike that I, I love and that I, I'm attracted to, and this is a case where I feel like it really works. And then, of course, you just have Sam Jackson narrating the whole film as a Greek chorus, which is is always great. It's like he's... he's... Where did he get that wardrobe, though? <laughs> yeah, I think that's
0: just Sam's wardrobe. I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Spike, by the way, always a very interesting fashion guy. A lot of purples and uh, a lot of Lakers colors for a New York Knicks guy, but that's mm-hmm. him. Uh, uh, that kind of brings us to uh, his more recent work. Finally, Spike gets his own Academy Award. He finally wins one for himself. Yeah, so
1: I've seen a lot more backlash for Black Klansmen lately, especially kind of in the wake of recent events and the idea of kind of telling a a police uh, positive story, (laughs) which is, uh, I think, an interesting perspective. But it was one I was not able to get to, so I was kind of curious to get caught up on where he's at, you know, in, in the film world from you having seen it a couple times
0: um did you ever see the boots riley tweet i, can't uh, remember I did that nature but
1: I, I i did i thought it was so dumb at the time uh and that was like the, really? yeah I, well, I thought he was like because it seemed so weird for someone like boots who's a, a fresh filmmaker black voice even acknowledged that he looked up to spike lee and then him just totally like yeah. ripping into him over this it seemed way too over the top but admittedly in light of recent events and like some of those critiques sound a little more lo- logistical now i'm like yeah yeah Yeah. maybe glorifying the police you know and and getting behind that with the black perspective is not as wise a thing to do in in the current climate i I get that i i still don't know if it was the best way to do it but like boots's personality is its own thing on its own like two
0: two big personalities like that clashing is uh i mean boots always been a very fierce civil rights yeah well Uh, even if he hasn't directed much until sorry to bother you
1: well almost like a, a cataclysmic kind of personality in that way <laughs> yeah, he is. It, it's it's very yeah. extreme and and spike is certainly more moderate and has become more moderate over time i think but even so mm-hmm. like the
0: two of them clashing like that it was
1: definitely a thing when it happened and, and i watched
0: that all unfold uh, yeah it was interesting talking about him like paying off getting paid off by police for fair treatment in his movies but um i I didn't really like Black Klinsman anyway. It did help that I watched the original one where there was a white guy (laughs) playing a black guy who passes as a white guy. Um, That that was very troubling for me.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. But the film generally got positive reception though again like i said recently i've seen quite a come down for it and it and it looked yeah a lot more commercial for spike uh, again especially yeah,
0: especially coming off of Chirac, like when you do some it's the right time for adam driver too and you're kind of chipping in on like the star wars notoriety and whatnot
1: yeah a, a bit and then you bring it in the next generation of uh with, with denzel's son playing the lead it was interesting i remember the trailers caught my attention and i was interested in checking it out because it seemed like the kind of fiery material that i might be into but i never got around to it not
0: not great for me though um i i don't think it does a good job at blending the historical moments with the with not even a historical moment just a moment of trump yeah Um, it wasn't as clear to me why it was so kkk related right then Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, becoming more clear as we go yeah
1: uh and and that's definitely one of the bigger complaints i heard even right at release is that the ending montage with the real footage of the, the charlottesville stuff felt yeah. felt forced and preachy which again I've, I've mentioned how that's been a consistent thread in his filmography i
0: think i think it was too soon i think there are a lot of huge moments in history that he could have connected and it, i mean we get to where we are today and that seems like a little bump the charlottesville uh, thing as we're tearing down the statues now.
1: I don't know. I would say Charlottesville is still kind of a, a huge point. Big moment. Yeah, market, and but, and it, um, it brought the conversation of the, the Confederate statue stuff and all of that. And white white supremacy is now a major facet of, of society and the, the uprising of it again. <laughs> God damn it. It definitely was a huge moment that, that became very clear. And uh, very sadly, of course. But it's... Yeah. Yeah. So I can see the purpose why, but I agree with you that maybe it's like a, like, almost like a too soon thing, but also like he,
0: how he's, well, especially then.
1: Yeah. And also just trying to relate a, it's, it's a period film as well and trying to relate that in, in such a blatant way. I, it, again, it's, it comes across as heavy handed sometimes with the usage of real film.
0: I get what he means, but it doesn't fit. Um, it doesn't fit the aesthetic or the timeline or any of the characters in the movie. Um, yeah. It does fit the, the racial profile of, of what he's going for. Uh, but but conflating the two also takes the air out of what he did before that. And it takes the air out of the ending in a way that you can only think about Trump. Um, so I left the movie mad at Trump and not thinking, oh, that's a good movie. Uh, you know, I, I didn't care about the movie anymore because I was so mad.
1: Do you, you think that's what he
0: wants? Whatever. Is he trying to... Because that, that's, a,
1: that's a continuation over to here. And obviously it's, it's a huge... Topical issues, especially
0: race-related, in terms of the current president. uh Then there was the big thing. This uh, inevitably lost to Green Book. So he lost to Driving Miss Daisy and Green Book on his two big. Chances. He didn't even lose to Driving Miss Daisy. He wasn't even nominated in 1989, no, which wasn't. is so criminal.
1: No.
0: I didn't know he was never <laughs> no. nominated. That do seems, the right thing was entirely overlooked cool. in 1989. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Uh, shit. Well, that's, like, obviously the best movie of that year, so I don't know how that happens, but, uh, uh, we're we're going to be looking at some of the, like, the new diversity changes next few weeks for the Oscars, and uh, maybe we'll take a look once they actually decide if they want to do something. Do you,
1: do you think something like, uh, I don't know, I, I guess, it, well, is The Five Bloods even something up for consideration? I don't even know what's, yeah, uh, the what situation. Is. Well, because the problem is that it didn't have a theatrical release at all. Did they lift that in any way? Did... They did. Okay, I don't even know if the film had an intentional theatrical release because like the f- <laughs> it just came up out of nowhere. Like they announced it like last month. It's like, "Hey, the Spike Lee's film's coming now."
0: <laughs> I think they announced it once they got to the Kuroda thing and thought we don't really have a spot for this to come and uh we need to fill some stuff out until we get back on our feet here. So I right. I would I be think interested was to a see. Safe choice.
1: No, I I definitely think cuz as you can see, it's like the most popular film right now. It's a big title. Yeah. From a noteworthy filmmaker, again, I got. I I mentioned yesterday. I said to one of the people on our site, I said, "Can you imagine if like the Irishman had dropped in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic? Like, it certainly would have made would it for been money. the biggest." It already was. Yeah, it was but... huge when it launched in November, but it petered off very quickly. But like, if it was the only thing of interest when everyone's stuck at home, then yeah, everyone would be surrounding that. And nobody would have a problem
0: finding three and a half hours,
1: which... No,
0: no. It would have been <clears> ideal. I think this is really the best time to release a movie, um, if you can. Yeah, so I'm glad. I'm sure it's going to get a lot
1: of attention. Uh, we have managed to abstain from talking about the five bloods between both of us here until this very moment i don't know
0: any of your thoughts on the film is it your new favorite movie more than citizen kane more than (laughs) sunset boulevard Uh, is he the new billy wilder you'll be surprised to learn that no i I still love
1: classic hollywood more than anything else this did not convert me shockingly better than apocalypse now (laughs) yeah they they really wanted you to know that Apocalypse Now was an inspiration, didn't they?
0: Having the big logo up just shows like the changing of Vietnam, like over the years, right? Uh, having the DJ playing like modern Americana uh, or at least Western influenced music in Vietnam is a really interesting choice. That that was one thing I was uncertain of watching. Like I, I kind of took umbrage with it, but at the
1: same time, I'm like, well, I don't actually know, so can I complain that much? Like yeah. this idea that all of the Vietnamese characters are still entirely determined by their relation to the war and i'm like "Mm, that seems like inherently uh like kind of generalizing and a little racially encapsulating like that's its own race problem there but at the same time do i know enough about vietnam to say how much the
0: war is still impacting the people over there for a movie about uh, black race relations, it has a lot of unexamined race problems, especially with its Vietnamese characters. Yeah. I doubt I'm going to fit those into the review, but they're very blatant. And it, it's very it's obvious. a bit of a
1: problem. The one scene where the guy is trying to sell the dude the uh, the chicken on the boat, and then he just flies into a fury yeah. about it. It's like, ah. I, again, I can't speak myself for how much for the Vietnamese people for how impactful that is and how much uh, frustration they still hold, but I have a hard time imagining that's their entire personality, and that's very much the case with the depiction of Vietnamese people in Five Bloods.
0: So not your favorite movie of all time, but of this
1: year, possibly. I mean, I've seen two movies this year, and between it and Sonic, it's, it's a tough race. <laughs> uh, better than Sonic? <laughs> yes, Yes, <laughs> it's uh, uh i guess i'll come out and say it i'm not i'm not a big fan of this one
0: that's too bad i i do like it a lot but i like specific things so i see a lot of room to go either way on. it's
1: uh one thing is that it's it's very long it's it feels very long <laughs> two and a half hours
0: i i looked at the time and i i really thought it would and i put it off for a few more days but once i really sat with it it felt about right to me um I think it has a lot of unexamined material for a movie that long. That uh, and and like you said before, it's one of those Spike movies with so many ideas floating around in its head that it, it, it goes ten different ways.
1: It tries to tackle a ton of things. <laughs> one of the big things that made me aware of that was the the oxycontin like aspect, the subplot talking about yeah. opium addiction in the U.S. It's like you you just like you you made such a blatant example of it, but you just totally dropped
0: it afterwards. <laughs> right. Literally, they drop it in the sand yeah. and then never really. Br- I mean, it's it, like it caught up with a bottle later. Yeah, it
1: comes kind of back into play, but it's never examined. But that's not way. addressing no, it. No, it's it's not. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of that where where it just picks something and again, it's a, it's that yeah. There's that. It's that issue
0: once again. <laughs> three different movies here, all going in different directions. I think
1: it's an issue a lot where it's it just and it's very blatant about the issues it wants to talk about as well, and especially in regards to trump america which comes up several different times in different ways uh i think it's it's interesting that they take the main the main guy there the main character name i have to look up again because i didn't do a good job of remembering the names of the characters oh no i think paul (laughs) Paul? yeah was that his name i think it's paul yeah uh he the idea of why a a black man would be attracted to to trumpian politics and such is an interesting angle Mm. that they kind of touch on uh they they address it from the perspective of a veteran as well and a lot of the talking points up front they bring up is good i think a lot of that is good but it's because he's also the most substantial character uh yeah. and a lot of other people fall by the wayside it, it's almost like propping him up and endorsing him in some kind of ways i don't feel like they really deal with his aggressive racism and political complexities in a proper kind of way. And and again, it, they just kind of use Trump as a
0: punching bag in in some ways. And there's really no need to. You look at like Trump, like 10% of his voters are or uh 10% of black voters vote for Trump and it's like, well, maybe some of those are war veterans most likely. Um they must be coming from somewhere. Um I, I mean that population must exist, but uh well, Not that interesting in its portrayal until you get to. I think what what he does with the hat is more interesting than what he does with the character in relation. to Right. Trump. I
1: just. I mean, like, and I, and I and I chuckled a little bit at the like Colonel Bonespurs Spurs or the whatever, where or they threw that name okay, up yeah. on there. I, I chuckled a little, but overall, it's one of those things where I don't know. Maybe I also just hate seeing Trump in movies, and I don't want to see his face they at him,
0: all. They call him something like the Klansman President or something at some point too, which is nice. But uh, uh,
1: and. Uh, You know, at the same time, things like that, I feel like they're just they're they're a little toothless in insulting him. Everyone does it. It's totally fair game. But like if you're he's such a more threatening presence that I feel like just dismissing him with dumb nicknames like that is just it's not doing your due diligence to fight back against
0: his horribly
1: racist (laughs) rhetoric.
0: It's hard because you can't play the Trump game of just like Sleepy Joe. And that's like the you know, okay, that's his character. He's done yeah you if you have you're going to play to critique, his game at a higher level
1: if you're going to critique trump you should really go for it and be sincere because otherwise you're downplaying the the effects of his
0: horrible rhetoric but for me i think it's come just the right time because it's about all the forgotten americans and that the idea that black lives mattered in vietnam and so many of them didn't matter to america when they came back uh and i kind of love its view on that and how it relates to modern race relations always very messily i think because it's spike but i uh, i think it's i think it's good that it does it
1: one of the problems i think with that is that the script is was not written that way to begin with it was about just a, a group of white vietnam war veterans going back and was yeah it, really? it, it was <laughs> and then it was brought to spike's attention because it was uh you know he had expressed interest in films like Treasure of the Sierra Madre before, which this takes very mm-hmm. explicit homage to it quotes y- it at yeah point. in a in a kind of like eye rolly kind of way <laughs> uh, I'm just like uh, yeah. it's you, you don't need to be so obvious, but that's a lot of the film's problem, but anyway, so a lot of the racial aspects, while they are integral and center stage, they do feel a little forced in and and I feel like the more genre y depiction of like a gold adventure hunt under undermines that serious racial commentary that could be going on and again it's it's one of those things where it feels like it's doing too much is it a film about black veterans reconciling with their their traumas and the loss of their friends and their mistreatment uh by the government during the war or is it a treasure hunt movie where we're going after this buried gold uh, it, and, and it's one of those things where i thought about as well and i can't help but be reminded of a like subplot mechanism in a Cary Grant movie called Charade where where it's about you know World War II veterans who are trying to find the berry gold they left during the war and it's just and that's what I think about and it's a and it reminds me of how silly that idea is in the middle of this very otherwise serious film
0: it's a really stupid idea (laughs) but I also have a lot of fun with it Um, I don't know if them going to get Gold was really worth them killing all the Vietnamese again. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there needed to be that much death. Uh, I think it was probably avoidable. And,
1: and the same thing, like part of the other mission is going back to bring home the remains of their fallen, you know, comrade there. And yeah. in the process, they leave behind the remains of another one of their buddies. <laughs> it's so it's yeah. like, why did you go back then? <laughs> and again, it does feel yeah. like it's just for the gold. And the the whole Treasure of the Sierra Madre aspect, the greed and the gold stuff, it definitely feels like it's it's so it's stuck. It feels like it's stuck from a different draft, and, you know, because it comes it comes so fast too. Like as soon as they get the gold, then they're all greedy for it, and then they're all obsessed, and they start turning on each other. And that's not how that kind of film should play out. I I regret that we lost our Treasure of the Sierra Madre podcast because I felt like we did a good job highlighting that slow ramp up and the increasing insanity that the film executes yeah. so well and this film is just it's like it's immediately switches over as soon as they find the gold now everyone's turned on each other
0: i do like all the performances especially our central ones with jonathan major and uh what's the what's the main actor's name he's in so many spike movies what is it Le leroy that... delroy lindo who plays paul delroy thank you delroy lindo yeah uh I think he's so fantastic it. and i know he's already getting awards buzz, so uh he yeah it's a quiet year he we'll see he does a really good job. he's the best one in the film, I think he's
1: got the most to work with writing wise I think a lot of other people really fall by the wayside uh especially yeah. the guy who gets blown up, uh whose name I don't even know because he doesn't have a character for most of the film the, like Otis or I I don't know who the oh, other guys' and, names are. Specifically. And that's another obvious thing that the film does, and and like it would be better if they didn't call it out. But like all of the main cast of characters are named after members of the Temptations, and yeah, then they they yeah. literally reference it at one point. They explicitly mention it. It's fair. And and that's that's such it's so aggravating that there's zero subtlety to the film, and and it goes back again to the. Even like just in the beginning, it sets up how obvious and in your face is going to be because the film not only does it incorporate a lot of real footage and everything, but it does it at both the beginning and the end of the film, and it feels like I'm just sitting through a history lesson for it. Like, and and it was frustrating. To, Sometimes it was frustrating with me for opening the film because it's like I know about this. I feel a little condescended to as an audience member. I know I know We're not everybody it. does, but I do, and and I feel
0: there's. Uh... There's points where he throws up historic black figures, and he's working from a black history textbook. Well, well most of the movies are white, but there are pretty obvious things. Yeah. But I always know everything that Spike tells me. I mean, he's never well, taught me anything. And, and
1: part of the problem is that even if he did teach you something, he taught it to you in four other movies. He uses a lot of the same true, footage yeah. and same people. Uh, you know, and and sometimes I just wish there was more. I understand that the, the black veteran... Uh, from Vietnam, thing is a new subject for him, but there are there are better ways to teach There's it in a narrative.
0: Also, also no other fiction movies I could think of that are that. I mean, I'm sure there are a few, but uh, no major movies that are about black veterans from Vietnam. So, there, uh, the first one of those. I which I mean, cool.
1: there are some. There was a string of some in the '90s. I saw that were pointed out. They're just they're forgotten. You could probably say it's the first right. mainstream notable one. one. Uh, yeah, yeah, but. Uh, Again, the the issue is I feel like it doesn't deal with that as much because it does. It is trying to be a, a Vietnam War movie at times, and it's not very successful at that. Uh, I I wish it was more about the the perspective of them now aged and returning and reconciling with that. Uh, all of the flashback stuff to when they're in Vietnam, I don't feel is is very effective. Particularly the I like it. The, yeah, really? the the battle <laughs> scene that they have defending it, it looks bad
0: look the the blood looks so shitty it's so funny the, well the direction <laughs> of it is so it's,
1: it's so unclear the battle scene where they're trying to get into the airplane and it's not
0: they're very it's, they're very bad at showing like continuous action in those I it's
1: thought. yeah it's it's not well choreographed the the environment is so uh un, unseen and everything you have i thought it was
0: so cool nah, though because nah. like i think of vietnam like the first televised war and so they go back with 16 millimeter and you have that aspect it's, ratio change. It's a cool it, it idea. Felt so cool It's a to cool
1: me. idea. I wish it was executed better. I wish it worked in the narrative better. And it's so infrequent. Like, again, it... it
0: and it worked for me. I, I don't know. This is the one thing we really disagree on <laughs> That's here. That's fine. It, I loved it. The action's bad all admit yeah. it. I mean, I can't say it's all well done. I,
1: I was I, confused. I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with the choice, but I don't know why they kept the same actors as, like, in their 70s yeah. in the flashback stuff.
0: I, I think he's been quoted as saying because he didn't have a hundred million dollars to do a Scorsese, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, it's kind of like the the Malcolm X thing. I kind of respect that doing the same actor. Uh, I mean, it's just I,
1: I again I can dig that. I, I'm fine with that choice, and yeah. I can believe it. But they look. The I can same. believe it through the perspective. is <laughs> like, oh, they're looking back on this. There was one moment that was yeah. that was really great, and I wish it was more prevalent throughout the film. Is that the the main guy, Paul, he has a moment where he has, like, a PTSD flashback, and it's only for, like, a couple of seconds, where he's back in the jungle for a moment in, in the 60s, and then he, and he comes back to reality. And if we had more like that, I think that would be better, but as, like, you know, interweaving plots, I felt
0: it inconsistent, it didn't work as well. Uh. That's all my favorite stuff. I think, but <laughs> I, well, I, I like when Chad. I, I like when Chadwick Boseman's character Storm and Norman yeah. comes back in the flashback. That, too. Uh, that's a, uh, that,
1: again, it's a good development for that that one character, and that's and that's again where I think the yeah, biggest the it, biggest issue is that it gives it like a mythical
0: lensing too. It's so but cool. he's
1: like the only well developed character in the entire cast. There's there's a subplot I with guess. another character who has a. a a daughter with one of the the local Vietnamese during the war. And that's like a very abandoned plot thread. And I thought it it didn't make a lot of sense because the daughter looks like in her late thirties and theoretically she should be like 49 at the earliest. Mm -hmm. Like, and and that's another thing is that it feels like this is a film that should have been made 10 years ago in some ways, because the Vietnam war is now 50 years away from our past. And so it it takes a little bit of suspension of disbelief for me to believe that these, uh, septagenarians are going out into the jungles again <laughs> and have the, the medical ability to, to do that.
0: <laughs> they, they do have to deal with it. And I think that's where, like, all the addiction and stuff comes through. They, they've worn their bodies down. And I, uh, I think that's one of the most interesting things to me, though, is the generational difference that we see that, um, they fought a war for things that they didn't believe in, you know, and rights that they didn't have is what they say in the movie. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. That, and then their yeah. son doesn't have them either. That, I mean, it's been passed down.
1: That's an important element. Again, and, and it feels like the film is overstuffed and it doesn't have a chance to explore some of that aspects more. The strongest thing in the film, the strongest theme is dealing with that idea of, and, and it, prevalent through like all of America's wars and how they talk about it, through Chad Boseman's character about this idea of how they're not fighting for an America that, you know is, is for them they're being forced into these conflicts and it's disproportionate mm-hmm. in many ways but that you know because it's trying to be a gold you know greed movie at the same time and it's also you know trying to be like this generational thing with the sun and it doesn't always coalesce together uh the the sun subplot and his fixture into the film like how he enters it definitely also feels like a contrivance to me he's just at the hotel room and he's like i'm coming along yeah <laughs> like how did he get there without his dad realizing not not only to vietnam but into his hotel room to begin with that's just that's his yeah. first scene he's like he's here
0: it happens <laughs> uh yeah i, I so didn't it's... mind it though i i liked all of the characters i like their camaraderie together i like their uh i like how they work as a unit Um uh, and I did feel like a like there was a brotherhood there, but uh, very loosely.
1: Yeah, again, it's like, uh, it's it's that frustration with Spike films where it's like there's there's lots of I see the ideas and I see the inklings here, but there's so much else going on that you're not able to develop this properly. And I think a lot of it comes back to the script first and foremost, and it not being in a singular vision from Spike from the get go. It yeah. definitely feels so- like a lot of it is is
0: grafted on. Uh, I wonder how it ranks with you, like compared to films you found really problematic, like Twenty Fifth Hour. Is this a better movie than that?
1: No, because I feel like
0: the filmmaking. No, interesting. I I feel like the
1: filmmaking in Twenty Fifth Hour supersedes a lot of the uh, issues there. Otherwise, and again, this one has its own issues. It has the racial issue that we talked about, Uh, but generally, the filmmaking in Twenty Fifth Hour is more uh, competent, more intentional uh and though it is a little uh, erratic at times itself this one feels a little flatter for me uh like again stuff like the aspect ratio change it doesn't feel as strong uh though I do get the intent of it
0: yeah i i again i really appreciate that aspect and i i feel like his technique is really high in the i i just think the script doesn't suit how high his technique is in this uh,
1: again i'm I'm not blown away by the technique like, I talked about, you know, the poorly filmed battle sequence, a lot of stuff in general. I feel like there's uh, there's some weird... Like, going back to the hotel room scene, the lighting in that scene is is god-awful. I felt like I was watching a, a high school production because it's just, like, the natural light, like, blinding in from the right side of the frame. And it, That's fine. Yeah.
0: I, I didn't have problems. It, and,
1: oh, and there was a lot of that. And, and I think it's also just a testament to how, like ejected i was from the film at points that i was picking up so many technical issues like and yeah, I, I just i, I stopped so. being invested at a certain point uh because of certain oh. things there were some weird uh angling choices how it like framed people from like really down below and upwards there was a long sustained like fish-eyed lens at one point
0: that was really bizarre it probably would be like about in the middle of my stock of of uh spike lee movies so. Uh, not even higher, low end, but around twenty fifth hour for This me. one, this one was definitely low, low, low
1: for me. I did not like lowest. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Really? Yeah, I didn't like the five bloods like at all, and it was it was grueling to sit through. I had a, such a hard time with the pacing. Again, it felt so long at times, and so. there was there were some things that were really comical uh th- like when when the guy does get blown up by the mine it's so obvious that it's coming because he's stepping back in this very unnatural manner with each step and it, it's so obviously coming and then it's very cartoonish when it happens i've seen people draw parallels like egregiously to something like tropic thunder with the total arrogance yeah. of the actual influences that the film is taking from like uh, mm-hmm. uh of course uh you know Church of the Sierra Madre, like we said. Of course, Apocalypse Now. There's a little bit of homage to Lords of Arabia I caught at one point. But that that one felt more like it rung true to me when he blows up because it reminds me of Steve Coogan being blown up by a mine because it is yeah. kind of comically punctuated. It didn't feel... And, and then they move on from that moment so quickly, too, because it's just you don't even have time to process the death because then the son's character is on, on a pressure plate as well. Just immediately it's after, true, yeah. right away. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I don't like how they handle any of the action. I think it's a good movie, though. I, I like a lot of the technique. I like the characters. I like what it says about blackness, especially right now. Uh, and I think it will get recognized at awards later this year, because nothing else came out. <laughs> and uh, it's not going to end up in my top ten list like for the year. Or even for Spike Lee eventually, I think, it's fine. And again, even
1: if I don't like the film particularly, I respect a lot of it, and I respect the vision of it. It still feels like a Spike Lee film, and I find that more interesting and and worth my time than than something that's very plain and ordinary and competent, but just, like, not—it doesn't have anything to say in particular—
0: even at good and mediocre, I think I think Spike's mediocre is a lot higher than others because it has ambition, and he has ideas, and maybe too many ideas all too, the time. Too many ideas, for sure. A lot of the same ideas he's had before... Uh, you know, yeah.
1: and, and though he has new ideas as well, sometimes the execution is fumbled. Again, it, it feels like there's a, a richer story in here that could be flushed out if you cut away a lot of the, the genre-y more fat. Like, any of the war stuff, I feel like... It, it almost feels like you could make three different movies from a lot of the ideas in yeah. here, and that would be better. Same as
0: Malcolm X. I'd make it a trilogy of black Vietnam vets or something.
1: Again, Yeah, this seems better. Tell Tell the story of them in the jungle first you know in the 60s then tell you know this story with uh the you know the them recuperating afterwards and dealing with it and then there's also the gold story which is like its own genre-y thing and and not serious at all again like the idea of this yeah. prospect i i have such a hard time imagining that there was an actual scenario where there was an exchange of
0: gold in the Vietnam War. <laughs> Well, I think it was for another location that was coming to buy like their freedom, and then they found it and they buried it at the, like the, the plains. There's right? a line about it. So they uh, could come uh, back. It later. couldn't
1: be. It couldn't be like paper or something. It had to be gold. And but mm. I don't. I don't know. It just. It's still. It's a little bit of a stretch and a little like I said, genre e for something that's otherwise very grounded. And and of course, like again, yeah, the big problem with the Vietnamese threat of the film and and hanging on to this idea of villainizing them. Fifty years removed from the war, it doesn't feel like it takes proper stretches to to humanize. It's it's very racist, actually. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of it's uncomfortable, especially in the frame of a film that's trying to talk about the systemic racism of the U.S. government. And then you, Spike Lee, might be kind of a racist. Uh, yeah, in this particular case, I think it's it's a yeah. little. It's very problematic, and it again,
0: it. We don't want to read the movie as the person is racist. No, either, no, know?
1: and and again, there's more to it than that. But it, it kind of accentuates the the demonizing of it of you know the Vietnamese and why that conflict was sustained for so long, and, and it's inadvertently doing that again and and kind of creating a, another <laughs> uh, Vietnam conflict when it really doesn't have to.
0: I don't know. No, it would be easily avoidable.
1: Yeah, again, because it makes them like the villains, and they try and make more of the the French sort of a villains with John Reno's character, but
0: it, yeah, I don't know. They don't really follow through on the Frenchness either. No. Other than, like, taking the, the America's Great Again hat and then oh. becoming the fascist at the end.
1: Oh, and there is and that. There, there's know. that bit of uncomfortable, because they use the, the, the MAGA character and stuff to, like, insult the Freddy's. Like, oh, yeah, without us, you wouldn't have escargot and snails and stuff. And it's, and it's just a super <laughs> toned up... Like, I get that the idea there is that he's supposed to be racist and we hate him. But because, again, yeah. like, you accentuate him and you don't like belittle him and bring him down enough like you're just endorsing his his racism in so many ways especially towards the french yeah, and agree. the vietnamese in lots of cases and it's it's really not good in those scenes and again because he is the most flushed out character he's the easiest to get behind and he, but he doesn't have any arc to his racism he doesn't get over that in no, any not really. most
0: of the characters don't have true arcs i'd say. i like what they do with the money though uh that moved me a lot at the end. Yeah, yeah.
1: and and that's how, again similar to it sounds like with Black Klansman how he's tying it into modern issues with the Black Lives Matter thing. It it did also feel slightly irrelevant to me, but less, really? you know, o- only slightly. Uh, be- oh, to the like to the plot, not to like social. No, yeah, obviously not social because that's super relevant right yeah. now. But like to what's going on in the movie again, it felt like another element where like you took a previously written unrelated script and added modern you know political commentary on top of it without considering how I mean, it actually
0: fit in i'm almost sure there was a movie Spike wanted to make that couldn't be made after black Clansman and then he got this script he's like let's make both right yeah
1: but potentially uh or he just had I these... mean, you can't
0: always make you can't always make movies and he shopped this around to like five different studios and only netflix bought, bought it so uh, i also like that they don't stop him too so it might not always be good, but I like that they were never like, no, let's uh, let's reel it in. Yeah, well,
1: that's the same thing I was saying with uh, Chirac as well, is that uh, what I appreciate about these streaming platforms is that it's kind of like the studio system in the 70s in a way, in that mm-hmm. they're just – there in order to appeal to the the generation that's upcoming with it, they're just letting – you know, filmmakers run and do whatever. They're not interfering with the material in any way. They're not trying to dictate how it should be done. They just, they let them make the movie and they put it out and they let us all take it in. It's good. And that's how we're going to get great stuff. It's not always going to be brilliant or, you know, not always going to be consistent, but it's going to be unique and vocal. And that's really, again, it just comes back to why we like Spike Lee as a filmmaker
0: to begin with. Well, initially, Spike said this was going to be his last movie what? when when Corona hit, but now he's saying that he'll come back in twenty twenty one. So yeah, I I I'm didn't take this as it, a we may get more.
1: Yeah, I didn't take this as a final film from him in any regard, and it doesn't seem like he should be done yet. I mean, do whatever you
0: want, man. No. But maybe maybe once he gets his Oscar, then he could go to sleep and you know stop stop making some movies. Yeah, d- directing or Best Picture Oscar of some kind. I don't know. We'll we'll see if that ever yeah. comes about. Not, not this one. I think not when we have uh, we have a lot coming this year I, that I already think is better. Some of which I can't talk about. So. I, I will
1: say though, I was kind of hoping at the same time that we could just do like what you did with little little uh, Little Italy and just
0: do like a poster dissection yeah. because the Five <laughs> Bloods has a lot of great poster art done for it. It is a lot. Um, I didn't realize until now that if you're on Netflix uh, and depending on what you watch, you get a different poster. So um, I that. I realized that with this movie. The the one I've been seeing the most lately is the most recent one they've put out, which
1: is all the the colorful kaleidoscopic one with the purples and oranges and everything, yeah. which is really great. But I also like the, you've got the very simple, the first release one, which is more, uh, you know, it's it's just the, the soldier uh, with the, the five tiers on him. Very simplistic, kind of Saul Basque-esque, I kind of think about when I look at that it poster. Is, yeah.
0: I love the posters for it. I think they're better than the movie. I agree. In some sense. I agree. <laughs> I think it's a good movie, though. Uh, I do want people to see it. And I think it's an important movie, more importantly. Yeah, I, I think I can sort of agree with those points. <laughs> I love the black lives matter thing. I know it doesn't relate directly to all the plot, but I just love where it goes with it's, it and how it ties it into modern. It's blackness. a
1: socially relevant film with a lot to say. Uh, I don't know if it eloquently says all of those things, but no. it's, it's on right now. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's yeah. hard. Cause I don't want to say that I, I didn't like it, but I, I really
0: didn't like it in lots of ways. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I think that it provides a lot of room to go either way on this, so I, I'm I'm okay with accepting a difference I, here. And I don't know how I don't know how big the gulf is either. I'm probably like a like a high seven or mid seven. It's on big. It. It's big golf. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't like it in so
1: many ways. It was very grueling. I found to sit through, and it, it embodied a lot of the worst spike isms. I thought in in many ways but it's I agree and still like yeah, it. and it's funny if it that way I I think that I, just shows you the kind of spectrum of of quality and takeaways you can get from spike films like again because I uh in the same way I, I loved Chirac's for so many reasons that it was obnoxious and
0: over preachy in many ways but it worked for me in 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 its stylism and like the same way that Chirac didn't work for me for like it's it's heavy-handedness with its poetry and stuff I, yeah, Spike could go anyway. So yeah. I'm happy we got to it and that we. I feel really good about our highlight of his filmography. We missed a few things like Bamboozled that uh, we might want to get to eventually. But uh, Yeah, we'll see how that yeah.
1: comes around. Hopefully, if he keeps making movies, we can do another retrospective or something.
0: All right, man. Well, this was a good show. Thanks so much for joining. Yep,
1: I'm glad we got to finally talk about another film from 2020
0: since I could be bothered to watch something. <laughs> the second one that came out for 2020. Woo! Finally. <laughs> It's a good year. Yeah. Thanks again.